Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Treks Through Time. I am your host and Freightways Deputy Editor, Brielle Jekyll, and I'm here to tell you about some of the most interesting stories throughout history in transportation and freight. And as always, I am here with Mary O'Connell, fellow Freightways TV host. And today we are talking about the logistics of the Boston Tea Party. I am very excited about this, mostly because I didn't know that there was logistics behind it. But I mean, you know, the tea had to get to the harbor to dump in there and the people had to get there. So I'm excited for this topic. I I don't know a lot about it. Um, most of my uh, Revolutionary War knowledge um, and the revolution comes from Hamilton. So this is going to be great. I know. I've been having Hamilton in my head all week as I prep, prep for this, even though they never mentioned the Boston Party once. Um, yes. But pretty much I've kind of finessed the logistics part of this episode. It's not really... So the real question is, Brielle, are you going to start breaking out into like a song or a rap to tell us this story? Or have you taken just the writing way out instead of did you write your way out? I have a mic in my face right now. Do not bring this up because I will just burst out (laughs) because Hamilton's been since I I literally fell asleep. By the way, I fell asleep to the soundtrack the other day because I just was like, I I don't have time to watch it, but I like I need to listen (laughs) to it. I'm sorry, the original cast recording. And uh, so it's just literally. <laughs> so I'm just waiting to break out in song. I mean, before this, I was. I was just like. Uh, I'm excited for this because, you know, you, you can't take away your shop, you know. I wonder just how many Hamilton fans I can weave into this episode, uh, which we know that those aren't necessarily related to the Boston Tea Party. But who doesn't love a good a good pop culture reference? Yeah, I feel like this is like a side. This this could be like, you know, in the Marvel, it's like the Marvel universe has like a side, all these <laughs> side movies. This is like the side movie to Hamilton, like like a different because it's like similar characters, but it's not all the same. It's it's a total different cast of characters. You know, we it's got, like the friend group leave like separates and half of them go off and like, you know, write the Declaration of Independence and start a new government. And the other half are right, like, we're going right. to go do some stuff. Well, this one has like Sam Adams and stuff. I, I don't really go, get into that part of it because I just wanted to kind of get over into the like the logistics and like what some kind of fun facts about it. But yeah, it, it's a whole like side character <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, I'm sure a lot of you already know the details of the Boston Tea Party, but there's some interesting stuff that I didn't know about. So we're going to go all the way back to 1773. Um, before the United States was even a country. Um, And we're coming up on the anniversary. It is December 16th, so that'll be this weekend. Um, And it was a cold December, and tension was brewing in the colonies, which is kind of like a pun because Sam Adams. Uh, And tea, because you brew tea. Oh, true, duh. (laughs) 
<laughs> of course, I would go to beer and not tea. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, you know, we know a lot of this from our sixth grade history books, but uh, for those of you who aren't continually looking into the history of the Boston Tea Party, the facts behind the incident um, are a little different than you would think. Um, the spark that ignited uh, Boston, uh, the Boston Tea Party wasn't a tax hike, but it was actually a corporate tax break. In 1773, the Tea Act reduced total taxes on tea sold by the East India Company in America, making it more affordable for the colonists. But the continuation of the three pence per pound duty and the lack of um, colonial input fueled opposition. So it wasn't really about higher taxes. It was really a matter of self-governance. And the Tea Act wasn't just a political move. It was a lifeline for the financially struggling East India Company. Uh, and this corporate bailout was considered a form of too big to fail, created a virtual monopoly, really threatening the interests of wealthy merchants like John Hancock. Uh, commercial concerns more than political principles really motivated many protesters. So everyone thinks this is about like, I mean, they say taxation without representation, which is a huge part of this. But this was all more business oriented rather than politically oriented. Um, even George Washington, who was obviously a very key revolutionary figure, he condemned the Boston Tea Party because um, he supported uh, the cause of um uh, he supported the cause for America, but he really dis disapproved of the destruction of the tea, emphasizing the sanctity of private property and suggesting that we people should pay compensation for the damages because essentially it wasn't really hurting the the um, English government. It was really hurting the East India Company. It was their tea thrown into thrown into the harbor. You know, kind of the, the like the whole um, you know. You, you damage your neighbor's property. You should probably not do that. You're like, I appreciate the statement you made, but you right. didn't it's almost it. like it's kind of almost being like, well, the government gave ta uh, Target a tax break, but everyone in my state didn't like that. So we attacked Target and vandalized yeah. their store. It's kind of so not exactly the same, but similar. So and and the the Boston Tea Party itself didn't really garner unanimous support among Americans. Like I said, a lot of people saw it as vandalism, not heroism. And it but what happened was the British reaction. So the intolerable intolerable acts that uh, united uh, colonists in opposition. So the closure of Boston's port annulled self-government in Massachusetts and expand, expanded the Quartering Act, and it led to the first Continental Congress. And the identity of the, the Tea Partiers, known as the Sons of Liberty, were completely shrouded in secrecy for decades. I mean, for, for years, they, they really did a good job of, of hiding who they were for fear of their safety. Um, we know that Sam Adams was a huge part of it, and a lot of our founding fathers were... Um, but uh, even after, so even after we gained our independence, they still feared legal consequences, and so and and they were scared of being condemned from elite, like people who <laughs> whose money it was that they damaged. <laughs> um, so today, only a few names are known, um, and but it really shows the lasting impact of their actions on uh, 
on the country. Um, but we do know that approximately 116 people were documented to have participated in the dumping of the tea, which I think is kind of cool. Just that is that is a lot because for 116, uh, first of all, I thought it was like five people like dumping it into the thing. Um, but for a hundred and you said 106 or 160? 16. 116. For that many people to go basically centuries without without like, you know, turning or like tattling on each other, that's impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, it's it's the the logistics of it is is yeah, what draw me to what drew me to this. I th- I think it's like really interesting to think of how many people were doing this in the dead of night and how much tea was spilled and and all that stuff. Um, but I, it's also super interesting that they dressed as Indians. I'm going to say Indians because that was the term at the time, but we know today it's Native Americans. Um, and so that was kind of the story for a long time that, that these guys dressed as Native Americans and they snuck onto the ship in the middle of the night and, and all that happened. But what the reality was is the, their dress, their disguise, wasn't really so much as a disguise because they were not going to be pulling off that they were actually Native Americans. Nobody was going to to think that they that a group of Native Americans did this, if, especially if they saw them. Um, but what it really was was symbolism. They were showing that, hey, we are Americans now. We're we're you know we are one with this land, and we are not a part of your government anymore. So it was really uh, a symbolic act. So 30 chests of British East India Company tea weighing over 92,000 pounds, which is roughly 46 tons, uh, on board the Beaver, the Dartmouth, and the Eleanor. They were all smashed open by the Sons of Liberty, and they had an assortment of axes, and so they were just axing away at these boxes and dumped them all into the harbor the night of December 16th in 1773. The cargo was was worth more than $1.7 million in today's money. Um, Merchant John Andrews wrote in his December 18, 1773 letter that 10,000 pounds sterling of the East India Company's tea was destroyed that night, or rather the evening before last. The British East India Company reported 9,000 pounds, 9,659 pounds, British pounds, worth of damages caused by the Boston Tea Party. But no damage was done to the ship itself. Nobody was harmed. It was all the padlocks and the tea. That was it. After the destruction of the tea, the the participants actually swept the decks of the ship clean and anything that was moved was put back in its proper spot. So absolutely the only thing that was damaged in this was the tea, which I think is really I just morally I just love like, yeah, we dumped all the tea. Has anybody got a broom? Can we sweep it up? And like, you know, just like polite, like, yeah, we're going to dump like a million dollars worth of tea in like this big protest. But also like, we're just going to clean the deck a little bit, sweep it up. Um, But also I want to know how this this name Beaver got on the ship, Um, because I feel like that is such a weird name now. And even then. Um, So I feel like if it's. I feel like there had to be like a kind of like we had Bodie McBoatface. I feel like it has to be kind of like a crowdsourced one that like Beaver just naturally won. Um, unless it like 
the Europeans or people were just like really into beavers at that time, which it could be like, you know, there, there's gnomes everywhere I go now. So maybe there's a boat named gnome, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, there's the no, I don't know where we got to gnomes, <laughs> but the beaver part, like it's just so random, but I do think that's incredibly wholesome and kind of goes back to like, they're not going to mess with their neighbor's stuff. They're just going to send a message to the people that they want to send that message to. Um, I like that they still cleaned up after themselves, like proper. I know. Like, I proper, love it. Proper citizens. There was one ship called the William ship and that one was missed. It was in the harbor, but nobody, uh, it had, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it was, um, totally left alone, but I'm well, trying to look up the history of the name of, of Beaver, but I got a history of the ship instead, which is kind of interesting. It was, um, captured by oh. the Spanish and at one point it was a slave ship. Yeah. It's crazy. That's, that's less exciting. Um, maybe we'll just move on from the Beaver. Yeah. Sad. Um, I just think that the history of ships back then, it, it's just interesting time. Um, but I digress. So, um, interestingly, the term the Boston Tea Party didn't emerge until half a century later and was initially re referred to as the destruction of the tea. So it was like the unfortunate incident. The name gained popularity in the 1830s through books like A Retrospect of the Tea Party and Traits of the Tea Party. So kind of like World War II, World War I, it was named in retrospect. Um, and not a lot of, oh, not a lot of people know, but there was actually a sequel to the Boston Tea Party in March of 1774. So not even a full year later, Bostonians unyield unyieldingly in their protest once again sent some tea splashing into the harbor. Uh, six, this time, 60 men boarded the fortune uh, and they forced the crew below deck and they dumped 30 chests into the harbor. I did actually know about the second one. And I know that it's kind of known as like unsuccessful and like it wasn't like not everyone was fully on board with it. They were just kind of like, no, we sent our message like this is unnecessary. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Um, I will also say that, so um, I got most of my information from today from the Boston Tea Party museum in which is in boston in the harbor and let me tell you is that the funnest thing i love that i had so much fun but i'm a history geek so have you have you ever been mary i have not i've not been to boston it's high on our list to go um but yeah i have not made it to ye old boston closest i've gotten is philadelphia i've been inside uh, the the a declaration of independence signing room and like the constitutional congress so i've been in there and that was really cool um but i've not made it up to boston yet i need to go back to old town philly because you know, we go to philly all the time but never did the historic section or you know area and my husband like skipped that trip when we were because here it's like you at, for fifth grade you go to you know philadelphia and you learn about the history and he never went so i've been dying to do that but 
I highly suggest going, if you go to Boston, do the Boston Tea Party Museum. It's really cool. You get to go on a ship. You, you get a little card and you're told like you're a character, you know, of the secret meeting back then you do the you do a pretend secret meeting and then you get to board the ship and you can actually throw the tea overboard. It's fake and it, you know, it's on a rope, but it's super fun. Um, all right. And that's pretty much all I have for today. Mary, would you like to regale us with some fun facts? Uh, I would love to regale you with some fun facts. Um, and Bro, let me tell you, there's um, quite a lot of fun facts that exist about that period of time. Um, for example, did you by chance know that the, um, you know how like Americans dr- drink a lot of alcohol now, right? Um, you know, it's, 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 it's America's favorite pastime right out there with baseball. Um, well, turns out we have nothing on Americans in the Revolutionary War era. Um, so I kind of have fine facts about that like entire era um they drank what is estimated to be about three times as much alcohol as we drink today like per person what yeah yeah it's probably had like a really low volume though i don't see i don't know i didn't get into like the abv uh yeah i know fun facts of it but the reason they drank so much is that you know they didn't really have a lot of clean fresh drinking water um so beer cider rum they're kind of safer than drinking from potentially contaminated streams or wells or anything like that um there's actually a distillery i don't know if it still exists um because i've not been to george washington's house in mount vernon um but he george washington actually created a distillery on his property in mount vernon and it produced eleven thousand gallons of whiskey each year wait that's crazy i did not know this yeah so he um like there was kind of like that level and then there was also um you know a lot of times they would get imported beers like the madeira and other types of wine from spain or anywhere else that you know came in um and so it kind of became a thing that like the upper class would drink these imported wines and rums and beers and other things like that. And then, um, you know, the average, average everyday American would just have stuff made here. Interesting. I know. Let's have another round tonight. <laughs> um, but when it actually came, so um, the historically, from what I remember, which we're jumping back into the archives of my brain here, um, the rebel or the Boston Tea Party kind of kicked off the beginning of what we know now as a Revolutionary War. It was one of the big, you know, signs that things were coming, um, and that kicked off the Declaration of Independence and everything like that. So, um, one of the big issues that they had in the war was actually feeding the soldiers. Um, so now we have, um, MREs and other things that we can package up and send with soldiers and they just heat it up after they boil some water and they have an entire meal that will last them for a long time. Turns out freeze dried technology, uh, and dehydrated technology wasn't as, um, let's just say wasn't as advanced back then. <laughs> dehydrating, obviously, you know, that was something that's, that's something that's been around forever, uh, not necessarily forever, but for a very long time. But, you know, freeze drying and packaging it up like that, it's a little difficult. So um, in 1775, the 
British had to send over boats of food for their soldiers. Um, but, you know, it takes a, took a couple months to cross the Atlantic at that point in time because, um, you know, they didn't exactly have coal steamships or, you know, other things like that. Um, and so a lot of times food wouldn't necessarily get to the soldiers in a reasonable time or like in a positive condition because fruits and vegetables sometimes don't last very long for a couple months. Ew, imagine shipping vegetables across the Atlantic in 1770s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, that's kind of one of the things that is credited to, you know, um, the British not necessarily being as successful in the war is that they couldn't get food to their people. Whereas, you know, the Continental Army, they could get, um, they think they had, they had rations that they got, I think, every day. And it was, um, a pound of bread, half a pound of beef and half a pound of pork or one and one quarter pound of beef if no pork was available. And then they also had a pint of milk, um, spru- a quart of spruce or malt beer, and one gill, which is four ounces of peas, beans, or another vegetables. Um, they were also supposed to get six ounces of butter and half a pint of vinegar per week. So they were getting that every day and they were getting the nutrients and sustenance that they needed. And I don't know about you, if there's someone that I perceive as like the British who aren't on my side of the war, I'm not necessarily as a common citizen going to feed and house them, you know? Yeah. Well, and let's not forget about the terrain and knowing, just knowing knowledge is key. (laughs) Exactly. And that's one of the things that, you know, people have said that um, even like the army itself has done a, uh, done a, a big study on how the logistics of the British Empire and the Revo- and the Continental Army, kind of how that cost them the the Revolutionary War. So um, they didn't integrate those that logistics and their strategy into their tactical plans. So you know they didn't necessarily know the environment that they had here. They didn't know how long it would take because. If you think about it, Britain compared to America, even now, it's it's a funny thing that's been going around the internet of like, oh, British people think like when Americans always go like, oh, you're from X place, is that close to London? And they're like, no, it's not, it's two hours away. Well, to me, two hours is a day trip, that's nothing. That's just like, I'm gonna get in my car and drive. Um, and But also it takes only a couple hours to drive from one end of the United Kingdom to the other. So. Whereas here, you can still drive for six hours and still be in Missouri. Like if I left my house, I could still drive and be in Missouri. I mean, shoot, you can drive 24 hours in Texas and still be there. So I think when it came to that battle part, um, when it came to the battle part of the war, the British just underestimated how much time it would take to go from one end to the other because, you know, you don't really know what that what that country is like because your country is so small like a handful of states is as big as all of great britain is yeah i mean i understand because i live in new jersey so i can't comprehend driving for hours and hours and still being in the same state if i drive from cape may to the top maybe it'll be four hours but that's about it (laughs) but also like so that's four hours and that takes you through like half of Great Britain, you know, like, and that's by today's travel standards, not necessarily because we know that it took longer back in the day. So, um, 
the so what ended up happening was because the supply from Great Britain took so long to get there and they couldn't get that you know they couldn't get their supply chain figured out because contrary to popular belief you know supply chains a very important thing of war um the British army who were like left foraging for food like off the land but that is also really hard because you know the stuff that we have here isn't necessarily native to what's over there so um yeah so short story long don't forget about your supply chain in the war. We should name this episode Logistics Saved the, the War Logistics for the United States. America. Yes. That's what I want to say. Logistics won the revolutionary war for America. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it did for the most part because, you know, yes, the Boston Tea Party kicked it all off. And yes, there was stuff getting imported from, I mean, a lot of East India Trading Company, but also... Um, there was a lot of things here that we were just able to utilize and it helps when you're uh, when you can, you know, supply your people from an hour away versus an ocean away because you're right. only being an ocean away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so I did forget to say that um, one of the most interesting things I think about this just shows like, you know, how things change over time. The actual location of the Boston Tea Party is thought to be at the corner of Congress and Purchase Streets, which was underwater. But now it's a busy intersection. So you can like walk around where they dump the tea into the water. It's crazy. How does it how is it not water now? <laughs> Don't make me say it. What? Climate change? <laughs> oh, because the water recedes. <laughs> Like, do we need to go, Brielle? Well, that's our merry moment for today. No, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> I was like, the water doesn't just go away. No, it does. Yes, it, yes, but it does. Okay. Well, I'm. Look, I live in the Midwest. I don't understand about oceans and coasts. No, we it's not even probably climate change because there's we're, we're getting more water, but it's really just like the ever changing. Like they, you know, Boston has been. Well, not just I, they, they've been doing construction and changing things in Boston since then. So, yeah, but the, it, it's just kind of cool to think that you could walk where they dump the tea. I wonder if people just like pour out like a simple a pure life tea bottle um, just on the on that street corner. Pour one out for the homies. one out for the homies. And on that note. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, that marks the end of today's episode. Another fun and goofy one. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jacobriel um, to see what else we have going on at Freightwaves Classics. And you can email me at thejacob at freightwaves.com. And uh, Mary, where can they find you? You can also find <clears throat> you can also find me learning how to speak. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Mary or, or I'm sorry, X formerly known as Twitter. Nah, I'm not uh, going there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at Mary O underscore one one nine. And you can um, check out some of the other stuff that we do uh, and check call and running on ice um, on freightwaves.com uh, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Uh, and don't forget to, uh, you know, rate and subscribe this one and let us give us some reviews. Let us know what we should talk about next time. We got a whole year ahead of us. Yay! And tune in two weeks for our next episode on Freightways TV or listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts.
Oh, sorry. South, I hope you start the episode like that. <laughs> and 